you know, for me, at least I'll, I'll go through my thought process. I'd love to hear what Mike and Jay have to say. You know, is is it a learned skill? Is it a perceptual error? You know, is it a learned error, a perceptual error, or is it a physical error? Those are the kind of three three things I go through, and I try to try to answer that, knowing the athletes and stuff like that. In certain contexts, like just use your eyes, and that's the big thing that I made this change like six years ago is because I would visually see these changes in 15 and 20 minutes. Then as both uh, Jay and Jeff said, like Jay's in the, in the classroom with his team and at the practice and at the games, like you can watch the, that's one thing I have against a lot of strength coaches that are maybe um, disconnected from their sports, like know your sport more, like watch practices, get like uh, Jeff said, get huddle and look at your, t- your athletes practice, go to their games. Cause that's the number one way I've seen it is just, you can see things in the game. You can see them as a coach using your coaching eye. And then you get feedback from your athletes, and they'll tell you that I, I, I saw this differently. I perceived this differently. And I'm in the right spot at the right time. And I just don't know why. And you, that's how you know your things are working. Um, when we're talking about like what aspects I'm looking for in the situation, are they able to hit these angles that we want? Are they, as in, like, can they go at a 90? Can they go drop at 45? Can they plant and go at. 135 and go straight ahead. Uh, and when they do this, right, again, like the foot is all of a sudden people have realized that it's part of the body that touches the ground and we need to pay attention to it. But like, can they do this without their heels smacking out of the ground? That was Jeff Moyer, Michael Zwiefel, and Jay DeMeo on a special agility roundtable version of the show. Welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle stimulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to episode 171 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And we have, as I mentioned, and as you've heard, a very special agility and change of direction roundtable 
our three guests for the day, our all prior guests on the show. Uh, we have Jay DeMeo, who is the head basketball performance coach at University of Richmond, also organizer of the Central Virginia Sports Performance uh, Seminar and Podcast. Jeff Moyer, who is the owner of DC Sports Training, a many times previous guest on the show and wealth of knowledge, and Michael Zwiefel, owner of Building Better Athletes Performance, a guest who's been on the show before in the world of the perceptive and reactive space. So agility and change of direction. This topic can range anywhere from the newest attention-grabbing speed ladder drill on Instagram all the way up to a fairly complex um, a fairly complex explanation of the ecological approach, perceptive and reactive space in a very complex sport environment and everything in between. So for the sake of today's show, what I wanted to do was this. If you've been listening to the podcast before, you've probably heard the idea that doing canned agility drills, like a 505 drill or some or pro agility where an athlete runs to a series of cones for time, has been shown to have very little or no transfer in the actual field of play where athletes are actually moving to a constantly changing uh, space and, and a constantly changing opponent with a specific objective. So this begs the question, well, what do we do then with a lot of the more quote-unquote traditional agility training pieces? Um, and for the sake of this show, we have uh, we have a group with a little bit of a diversity and viewpoints. So not everyone, and that's what I love about this show, is uh, on this particular episode, not everyone agrees or looks at it the same way, but there is a lot that we all do agree on. And so that's the way I like to take these things. And many times in the field, we tend to just, um, we tag ourselves with what's different. We really focus on what's different. For this show, we have a group that does have some differences in, in terms of traditional training, the perceptive reactive space, etc. But there's also a lot that's the same. And it's those things that are the same that we can really use to spearhead the agility and change the direction equation, which is very complex, by the way, forward. And so I'm really grateful for the willingness of these three participants. This is a really complex area to get into. It, the rabbit hole can be insane, but thankfully we were able to keep it pretty simple. Regardless of the level of um, athlete you work with or your depth, how deep you've uh, dove into the agility and change of direction space, whether it's just on the very simple and rudimentary level or you get really into the deep flow charts with all these scenarios, there's something here for everybody. I learned a ton. Uh, so that being said, let's get on to the show. Topics we're going to discuss in this roundtable are uh, philosophy on what good change of direction is, thoughts on baseline physical abilities for better change of direction, KPIs revolving around change of direction or key performance indicators, Different, um, different approaches to the value of any sort of movement training that isn't coupled with a perception or an action. That's where there is a little bit of difference in some of the opinions and, and ideas you're going to hear today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how to record or quantify results of an agility program. Uh, we're going to talk about how to define pieces of an agility program and how to decide what to get an athlete to work on, special strength, and a whole lot more. This is a great show, and I'm excited to bring it to you today. Let's get on to it. All right. So first order of the day, and thanks all for being here. Um, so what, and I think there's a lot of opinions when it comes to agility and change of direction and, and with all the, with all the factors that, that go in, I've, I've seen these huge charts of, of all these, you know, these huge flow charts of all these little factors that go into change of direction on the field. But, uh, let's, let's crack this one open by saying, what does good change of direction or good agility on the field mean to you as a coach and, and in your training process? Jeff, you want to start, dude? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, um, well, on the field in the sport, um, it's I don't know. Uh, I guess I never really try to put it into uh, into 
words, but uh, it's just a, a, a adaptability to whatever comes their way. Um, you know, how well can they respond to, you know, for, for instance, soccer, uh, you know, athletes diving at their feet, uh, balls in the air, um, you know, uh, working the sideline, getting in and out of tight, tight uh, situations. Just kind of uh, adaptability is, is one of the big things uh, I look for. Um, so for me, I, I guess it's uh, the ability to respond to the changing environment, I guess, would be a textbook answer. Yeah, I really, I went really philosophical and esoteric in textbook yeah. on this first question. Sorry, guys. No, but I like the question. Um, Joel, I think in the sport that we both have in common, it means flip turns. Um, but, you know, in, in field-based sports, I think that they both mean something different. And I think that change of direction means kind of the, the basics of what we're trying to teach. And agility means implementing it into a situation in which it's responsive to some sort of stimulus, right? And I think that the fact that I said it that way is probably why the four of us are talking tonight. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I'll piggyback with what Bill said. I agree. I think it's, yeah, it comes down to athletes. For me, like, to be able to solve problems on the field. So be able to use some of the contextual information that's present in their respective sports and finding authentic, uh, genuine, uh, adaptive ways to solve those problems. And so I don't think it has to be super complicated. That's kind of what it comes down to me. I, I want athletes that are able to solve problems on their own without me as a coach necessarily trying to give them the answers. Because as we all know, in their games, and their sports, we can't sit there and hold their hands and give them the exact answers to what they should be doing at, at every moment in the, in the game or the sport. And so for me, it's letting the athletes uh, uh, just be a, genuine and authentic in how they solve problems and kind of, you know, nudge them and facilitate them towards what they do best in terms of solving those problems. Yeah. So I, I was going to, one of the things I, I like about, um, especially Jay, how you said it, and I think this could be kind of the theme of the show because I think this is where the rubber really meets the road. And this is the reason we're all here is there's the <laughs> idea. I, it's really the two parts, right? There's the physical, and I have this in the question list throughout, probably shaded, shaded all the way down, but these like physical and biomechanical qualities of just turning and changing direction and moving, and then the re perception and reactive component of in-game agility. And even, even just in the last podcast I did with Andy Ryland, just talking about the importance of saying good choice being this, this crucial element. So what I would like to do is dig into the former. So, the, the physical qualities needed and biomechanical qualities needed to just, and, and I, maybe you could frame this in a sense of, yes, we know, I think we can all come together and agree that at the end of the day, you have to make the right decision first and foremost. And regardless of, otherwise, regardless of how good you are changing direction or moving, you're probably not going to be in a good place. You're going to be behind. But at the same time, I think we all know that there's some basic physical characteristics that also enable somebody to reach a high level that uh, will go in tandem with reactive ability. And that's what I really wanted to chat about is, is thoughts is digging into that a little bit, because I think that, and Michael, you've, you've said this, like it's easy to tag uh, one camp as the self-organizational free-for-all camp, right? <laughs> and, and we like to paint straw men pictures and we like to have tribes. Like there's this people don't believe in any sort of, um, of, of movement training whatsoever. And then there's another camp that doesn't believe in reactive, you know, training whatsoever. 
And so I want to clarify a little bit of that today. Um, and so what I'd like you to ask you guys a little bit on your thoughts of that, that physical, is there a baseline physical and biomechanical um, level that uh, athletes, especially probably young and intermediate athletes, I would, I would um, imagine may need or may need coaching in, in, uh, in, in achieving a better sport ability? Yeah, I guess I could start. I, I think everyone's going to agree that, yeah, there's definitely a physical component or quality that, that athletes need to possess in order to move well. But it's kind of like the whole, like the sprinting debate now. Like, how strong does someone have to be to, to sprint extraordinarily fast? There, there's a lot. There's no one answer. And, you know, every athlete can be different in that regard. So do you need to be able to squat two times your body weight in order to sprint fast or, or in order to hit really good shapes uh, during agility movements? I would disagree with that component. So I think there's definitely uh, needs to be some physical characteristics behind that. Uh, but in my mind, I, I don't think it's as high or as much as many people believe. Uh, and then when it comes to the biomechanics, the only thing I say with the biomechanics and the kinematics of, uh, of change direction is I think you always have to look at it in terms of uh, in the context in which it's going to be asked during sport. So it's one thing to, uh, I think, try to train or coach biomechanics Void of any kind of context because, again, this has been shown in the literature. And if you, as you coach athletes, you'll see that the reason I got into more of an ecological approach is that my early coaching was very biomechanical. It would be you got to hit this shape, this position, and I'd spend a lot of time on that. But also, when I got them into an actual open environment, more of a sporting environment, none of which I worked on kind of stuck. And so it just made me think if we want to change technique or kinematics, we have to do it within the context of what it's going to be asked in their sport. So that's where I'm at in terms of the biomechanics and in terms of the, the strength and physical characteristics. Well, I guess that mine's going to be unique because I'm in a team environment. Um, and in our team environment, they're in a constant state of practice. So you know, the, for anyone listening who's unaware, the NCAA now lots college basketball players to practice throughout the summer for eight weeks um, for an allotted amount of time. So we're always in a situation where they are always in a position where contextually they are provided these game types stimuli. Um, but backing all the way up, I do feel like there are some things that can improve and Again, like what Joel was talking about, I think these are two different things. I think the physical qualities and the biomechanical qualities, although they end out mushing together in the end a bit, they both are, are a bit different. I think that one thing, and I, I really hope Jeff would agree with this, that, you know, we would see a lot of carryover and success with is the implementation of some form of extensive method jumping. I think that that's something that in this change of direction, cutting area, um, where people like to talk about different things in a sense of like the idea of absorbing force to be able to get in and out of a break. I think that the idea, if we can start to twist it more a bit of how Doc would say it as our ability to withstand force and be able to not buckle or collapse or whatever it may be. Um, so we're teaching these strength qualities, whether it be, using some form of iso-inertial training to work on that 
the stance with the flywheel or delay squats to work on, if you want to call it eccentric strength, but really it's just the ability to not let your body continue to go in the other direction, right? Um, and that's where I see those things tying in with extensive method jumping. Now, things like squats and now, if, you know, people have looked and seen like we do a lot of barefoot stuff and the strength in your feet, all that. Does that all tie in? Um, I 100% believe so. The players I get the opportunity to coach every day believe so. Um, so there are some of those strength things. And I think we would all also agree that as you inc- increase these physical qualities, revisiting the technique of the movement is probably a good thing, right? So as we build more and more strength or explosiveness or elasticity or stiffness or whatever the day this airs we're calling these qualities, working on the technical aspect of the exercise or the movement that you're trying to perform you would then in turn believe that it would carry greater into more of the chaotic environment, right? It's sort of like the, the just the part whole method. We're building things in the parts and then we're just going to do this skill. And then where I'm lucky is we practice the skill for a random whatever, depending on the guy's amount of time through the year. And then they're doing all this other stuff at practice or when they're playing. So, we're working on these techniques that are hopefully going to show up and help them perform these skills at a higher level while in conjunction strengthening and providing these stimuli that have carry over to them, then hopefully allow them to perform it better in that other environment that's practiced. Jeff, did you want to tie into that? Yeah, I, uh, Say, I believe, I believe in both. To be honest with you, um, I believe a lot. A lot. So I, I like to know the, at least try to know the arguments from both sides of of you know uh, of anything. And uh, I, I a lot of what I hear from kind of the constraints led ecological nonlinear side is uh, there's a biomechanical model, right? And we're trying to fit these biomechanical models. And I don't think so much it's a model. I think there's KPIs and. I, I, I mean, biomechanics has been around forever and it's been in athletics and forever. So I don't think there would be a field if it wasn't relevant. And, uh, um, I forgot what his name was. Mike, uh, Ryan from, uh, Nebraska did an awesome presentation at, um, Ryan. I, I can't think of his last name. I'm sorry. Um, he did an awesome presentation on, uh, on, um, biomechanics and using 3d models and you know all the fancy stuff he has at nebraska at the uh um, movement seminar sean mishka's movement seminar this this past winter and um you know there are kpis there's not necessarily a model but there are their key markers and i used to work um i wish i used to work for a sports medicine orthopedic practice and i used to have to run their acl prevention program which was called sports metrics which if you give me a little more wine i'll go off on a tangent about that but um, there are, if you look into the ACL literature, there are biomechanical markers. Now it's, it's, there is, there is wiggle room. So it's not just, you have to be at this angle, you have to be at this or you will get hurt. Like there's wiggle room. It's, it's an average, it's a mean, right? These are means and these KPIs are means. And so those are really what I 
try to look at from a movement standpoint, as far as, uh, as you know, we're talking young athletes and stuff like that. Do we hit these KPIs? It doesn't have to be this perfect model of, you know, whatever. Um, I think that is what should be, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, that that's with the technical model people. It should be more of these KPIs and have these wiggle rooms, right? Uh, give the analogy of a, um, a sled going down a snowy hill. Um, but that, that sled track, the more you go through it, the deeper the sled track gets. But that sled track is not just a narrow sled track, right? It should be a bit wide where if there's a rock going down, you should be able to go around that rock, right? So there's wiggle room. There's variability within that um but that's not to say that that's that sled track is not the most efficient or whatever manner so with change of direction there are kpis that i i look for um that uh you know i i use through uh I, i've gotten from you know people who have phds in biomechanics and, and study things like that but i do look try to take into consideration also the variability that goes into an adaptability and, you know, just because it might have looked ugly or a little different once doesn't mean I'm going to throw the baby out in the bathwater and, and all hell goes loose and we got to go back to teaching. You know, we allowed variability. Um, from a physical uh, quality standpoint, um, I, I, I mean, I'm, Jay and I have the same, same mentor. So I'm going to have to part with Jay on this as far as I completely agree. It's, a lot, for some reason, a lot of coaches talk about uh, absorbing force. Got to be able to absorb force, especially in change of direction. The eccentric absorb force, but it's withstanding is which we, we got to worry more about. And uh, extensive jumps are a great way to do that. Um, extensive jumping uh, and other methods. Uh, I know triphasic is quite popular for um, a lot of change of direction stuff. I think um, there was a study done on change of direction there. The eccentric and isometrics, right? The ability to withstand force um and do stuff like that and you know getting into plyometrics and depth jumps um so from a physical quality standpoint yeah there's a lot of things but and to also tie into what jay said i don't try to train either one necessary in isolation your physical abilities have to match your your the movement on the field in my opinion to have the best transfer of training and that's really all i give a shit about and that's really what i think uh, at the end of the day we're all we're just talking about is transfer of training um in order to have that, we have to have what we do in the weight room, you know, transfer to the movements on the field. Otherwise, it's useless. So, um, you know, doing specialized exercises that that match, you know, some of the change of direction, some of the change of direction stuff that you do in the field and, and some general exercises that can help with the physical abilities that match aspects of movement on the field. Um, that's where, I, I, in my opinion, I, I think this is the biggest bang for your buck. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I like, um, in Jay, you mentioned kind of the part, that part whole system and the strength element. And, and Jeff, you did a good job of kind of clarifying a lot of the, um, a lot of the more technical terms into, uh, like the KPI metals. And I want to get into that with you, but it made me think about this in the sense of, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of an ends guy. I don't work in the middle so much in the sense of I'm, uh, very into uh, the the reactive qualities that athletes will see if it would be my my job and context to train that you um, working in a university sector uh, obviously it's a little more siloed out but then you have on the other end like you guys are saying the the raw physical qualities the ability to change direction the single leg strength I like Jeff how you said it's more of a, a deflection than an absorption 
and I think, yeah, the, the industry, enough people are finally starting to say, yeah, what, why are we doing deceleration training or classical deceleration training? It's, there's a lot of uh, dissimilar, dissimilarities there. But I look at in working with tennis, for example, and in just what I've seen and tennis, I feel like is a pretty easy sport to at least assess some basic lateral change of direction because it's pretty repetitive. There's not, it's, I think there, it may be a little bit easier to assess and look at than basketball, perhaps just because I think just running to, you're either shuffling or you're going to cross over and run for the most part. Um, there may be a little bit more than that involved, but you, I, I noticed like the characteristics of a guy that can do that well. Uh, would be a guy who, if you're doing like the boom booms drill, uh, can switch well. They can switch in the air. And the guys who aren't as good don't seem to have that ability to switch in the air. But then you can go further down the rabbit hole and it's like, okay, those guys who can't switch in the air also are really bad toe grippers. They don't pronate well. They aren't very strong off the inside edge of their foot. And so there is like a few, uh, that's at least, that's where I tend to go where we're building out some of those parts. And then the, the, a lot of things like Jay said, the jumping and, I think we could mention like single leg strength and that those types of abilities. Um, but Jeff, I wanted to, well, first off, anyone, if you guys have any thoughts on that, feel free to chime in. But I wanted to get, you know, Jeff, you mentioned obviously you and Jay being with Doc Yeses and the, um, you mentioned KPIs, like the things that you want to see. What do you want to look at uh, in terms of change of direction biomechanics? And I think that is something that contrasts with what Michael was saying in terms of training um, a change of direction outside of the actual sport and reactive context. And so that's the part I'd kind of like to get into now. And so maybe we could start that off by Jeff and Jay, you guys, and I hope I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth too. I just, sometimes I talk a little bit fast through here and try to integrate a lot of ideas. Uh, but if Jeff and Jay, you could talk about like doc and some of those KPIs that you guys take from him and integrate into your system. One of the things, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to it with this deceleration training. Everyone, from what I've seen at least, um, is doing it on two legs. But if you watch doc or you watch sports, a lot of athletes don't do it on two legs. They do it on one leg. So one of the big things is the ability to decelerate and stop and start on one leg. So a lot of um, that is, that's kind of what I look one one of the things I look for is the ability how, how many steps does it take for an athlete to stop uh, to decelerate um, you know how well do they do it is there you know all the lateral flexion you know is there just are they just caving over things like that just overall posture like does anything just kind of stand out um, you know and then where is their body in relation to that leg um, if they're going to stop on one leg now not always do I want an athlete to stop on one leg they can stop on two they can but I, you know, it's a lot harder to stop on one leg than it is to stop on two. So to just look at two leg deceleration, I think, you know, that's a little easy, um, in, in my opinion. So with the one leg, how well they did do it on one leg. Um, so that's one of the big things we do, um, you know, with our delay squats and, uh, other things of that nature. Um, I don't know if Jay's ever gotten to like, you know, ISO, uh, ISO eccentric with calf raises, um, and things of that nature, but ability to, again, build that withstanding uh on one leg um and uh you know posture upright um you know not not caving over uh at their back you know so their spine position and things of that uh head position i know uh especially in the acl literature um right there's a higher likelihood of tearing your acl if there's lateral flexion I forgot what the degree of range of motion is, but it's something like that. You know, I don't sit there with a goniometer and measure shit on a video, but 
you know what I mean? Like I'm looking for just, does it look like shit? Um, and kind of go, go backwards from there, I guess in a you know, simplistic manner. Yeah. You know, and I think that when we're talking about these simple cuts that we would quote unquote practice, uh, in our training, I think that again, going back to the uniqueness of the situation that I'm in is there are things that typically would show up in our version of the offense um, and some things that would show up with how we typically guard teams. Um, so what I hope for is that it looks crisper when they're doing it and they're just focusing on doing it, right? Because there's no distractions. When you take everything else out, they should be able to do this better. Um, and I use that as more of an evaluation as to how the day is going to go. Because we do this as part of our warm-up preparatory work in the beginning. Um, when we're talking about like what aspects I'm looking for in the situation, are they able to hit these angles that we want? Are they as in like can they go at a 90? Can they go drop at 45? Can they plant and go at 135 and go straight ahead? Uh, and when they do this, right, again, like the foot is all of a sudden people have realized that it's part of the body that touches the ground and we need to pay attention to it. But like, can they do this without their heel smacking out of the ground? You know, can they stab into the ground with that foot? And then can they push their pelvis in the direction that we want it to go? Cause I think the one thing that doc really kind of beat me over the head with for a while is that it doesn't matter if your pelvis doesn't go that way. Right. So Using these as kind of just like a special exercise in order for them to carry over to that situation. Um, and then other exercises that we would do. So bounding in different directions. I look at that probably more than the weighted exercises in these situations because that's really easy to be able to be like, we're covering more ground or we're quicker off the ground and covering more ground. Um, in the special exercises with the lunges, are we now able to actually displace our pelvis at a greater distance? So we need to add resistance. Are we able to do these other things? And then is it also showing up in the practice that we're doing? So we know that A is feeding B and then in turn feeding C. Um, I hope that makes sense with what I'm getting at there, but it's, it's just looking at, are they able to withstand it? Right. So they're not like all the things Jeff said. But their heels not slapping the ground too, so they're quicker off that pop. Um, their pelvis is moving in the direction we want it to, as like driving out. And then we look at those other special exercises as kind of the tie together to make sure that going back to talking about KPIs is the strength work and the work we're doing with these increasing enough that it's showing up in the other stuff we're doing. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, Mike. Um, but I'd like to add, I think, um, when Jay was talking, when he's talking about doing it in drills and it's warm ups, uh, I want to make sure we reiterate it's not necessarily a closed drill. They're all, they're doing it off of a perceptual reaction to either a partner, right? Jay, uh, you, uh, another coach. There's always eventually, yes, right? There's a perceptual aspect built in to uh, some of the technical stuff that we'll do as far as the, the KPIs and, and, and uh, the drills. So I want to make sure it's not necessarily just a, a closed drill where it's just you're going to a cone, cut, go to another cone, cut, or some fucking agility ladder, 
No, right. But every year we go back and review these pieces just to make sure. Right. Again, if we just spent a whole off season developing these other physical characteristics, I want to make sure that we can still display the ability in the most remedial sense and work our way back through it as we improve our way towards as our building through the preseason practice. So like tomorrow, We'll be jogging in, sprinting out on the 90s, uh, walking in, jogging out on the 45s and the drop. Like we just, that's just the progression that we're at right now. And if they display, which they all will, then that continues to move forward. And then probably what's today? So it's like October 3rd. So by the third week of October, we'll have all four directions in. And we'll also now be going off either a reaction with a point or a cue and or a distraction. So a point one way and saying something else to make them understand what they're focusing on. So yes, as Jeff was saying, and like what I was alluding to before, it's ever evolving, but we start with that technical teaching model just to make sure that we're where we need to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, to me, uh, just to kind of summarize what everyone said so far, and my, uh, I feel like we all, we certainly, and any coach who works with athletes, especially in the, the physical preparation realm, I think, like both of you said, like movement quality is of the essence, whatever drill you're doing. I like, Jeff, uh, what you had kind of said about counting steps, deceleration, at least putting, uh, being able to put, if, if we're just going to coach movement for movement to be able to at least put some basic tags and frames of references, and I think, even coaches, regardless of if they, if there's, um, they, there's a lot of, I guess you could call it maybe gray area stuff, like between that, that lives between the world of perhaps strength and then the actual chaotic sport environment or, or straight line running in sport environment or anything like that. I think that, uh, move, uh, certainly movement, movement, basic movement is appreciated by all. I, I think that the area, perhaps the area that is different is where, uh, and Michael, I'd be interested in your take because I'm sure, obviously, you're you guys train. I mean, you train lifting, you train the perception reaction space, and I imagine you do at least linear sprinting or or things where there is a coaching of basic movement quality. And I'm sure it shows up throughout your program. I'd be curious to hear at least how you approach things on the like kind of more of that baseline level, like just that kind of like what we we're talking about, just. Uh, being in good posture, good positions, moving like an athlete, et cetera, et cetera. And that, how that filters up into your perception reaction work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of, yeah, there's definitely KPIs for, for on-field sport movements. Um, the one thing that I would say is that for me, when I try to affect or change it or improve it, it always has to be done within the specific context, again, which is being asked. Because the, the reality is this, in actual open sports, how one perceives the information in the task, when in the environment, that will directly dictate their mechanics and their, their kinematics. So if you, again, you separate those two and you try to just work on the mechanics, the kinematics, without the information that they're going to encounter during sports, again, there, there's a separation there that's not going to, to help transfer. So I'm, I always put a premium on the information that my athletes encounter. Okay, and that's the, that's the basic uh, kind of ecological psychology is that 
It's the, the perception is a functional act of picking up information from your environment and using it to regulate movement. That's what kind of the ecological approach is, that how are athletes are perceiving, attuning themselves and calibrating themselves to the information in the task, in the sport, in the environment, that is dictating their movements. And so I want as much as possible my athletes to interact with that information, to become calibrated, to become, become attuned to that information from their sport. And so absolutely, anytime we try to affect change or technique, it has to be done with some sort of that perceptual information, that environmental or task information present during our movement session. Otherwise, for me, I just don't think it, it, it transfers or works or is retained when we actually go back to that sporting environment. So that's just how I approach it. Um, so I put a premium on that information. That information is not present because it is an interacting thing. It's, a, it's the organism and the environment. We always are coupled together. That's how we live in sport. That's how we live in the world. You have to couple the organism or the athlete with the actual context of the task and the environment and the information within that environment together. So I'm always trying to keep those two together coupled rather than separated. That's just, I guess that would be my, uh, I guess my breakdown of how I would view some of those KPIs. But absolutely, as Jeff said, there are KPIs. There's no doubt about it. And that's the thing that we wrongly get accused of, that's for self-organization, which that's just basically a term of how one, you know, organizes around the information in the, in the environment and the task. We are, we're all self-organizing every single day. That's, that's another thing people I laugh at. Like self-organization is happening all the time, every day, no matter what we're doing. You give an athlete a cue, they're going to organize around that information, how they perceive it and how they interpret it. They're self-organizing. So we get this, this wrong interpretation that we're just letting our athletes do whatever the hell we want. Well, that's not true at all. We are definitely trying to influence and affect and improve their movement mechanics, um, but we're trying to do it within the context of the sport, within the context of the information that they're going to see and interact with and perceive within their sport. That's just all we, that's all we're doing. And we're trying to do it in a more of a, uh, in a manner that allows that athlete to interact with that information and then have that movement behavior emerge as a result of that interaction rather than me, you know, implicitly telling them what to do um, in that regard. So that's kind of, I guess, my take on some of the things that have been discussed. discussed, discussed. The way I, I see it on, on some level is kind of this, and, and maybe I liken a lot of things to track and field, like the idea of, perhaps uh, maybe a very purist form of, of coaching sprinters, for example, where maybe you just do different forms of sprinting and then do all the general stuff and lift weights versus maybe a, a form of training for sprinting where there's a lot of middle stuff and, and KPIs given on middle stuff, like a lot of bounds and, and plyos and, and plyo KPIs and different forms of sprinting and all that. And I, it's, it's kind of, it can be a tough argument, I think, on saying, well, which one's better? Um, just, and, I mean, at the end of the day, and Michael is going to ask you, so for you, it's your, your program is all, uh, like the baseline physical qualities, strength, strength work, every baseline quality that would support, uh, being a good mover in, in, um, in, from a strength perspective. And like a lot of things Jay was talking about, I suppose. Um, and then, and then the, almost like a, um, a very polarized spectrum, if you will. Like, and then the other end is moving in context of having, a having a reaction, uh, having a, stim a constant stimuli? Uh, so, like what I do in, the, say, the weight room perspective you're asking? Yeah, well, so I'm just saying, so you basically, so your system is either, you're either lifting or doing the supporting strength or moving in conjunction with the reaction. There's nothing really that's in the middle. Or, I, I mean, imagine there's some speed training or 
what is there any how does your system lay out that's yeah um obviously depends on the athlete and the context of where they're at the development etc but typically what we're going to do is i'm going to um have any kind of supportive work our weight room work is going to be um in it's going to support whatever our movement quality or our movement emphasis of the day is so our weight room is a complement to our on-field movement practice for that day, not vice versa. So, yeah, we, we definitely do some fly sprints. But then, again, I try to get that um, back as much as possible to a contextual sprint um, in whatever that athlete's going to encounter in their sport. Does that make sense? So we'll, we'll do flies. Again, that might be like a physical characteristic or physical quality we're trying to enhance. But then we also have to use that, that sprinting ability within a guy chasing us or we're chasing down somebody, we're holding a ball or shows our turn. So those are all different ways that we have to actually sprint in sport, not a straight line unless we're a track and field athlete. Again, say for Jay's guys playing basketball, they're sprinting, looking where the ball is at or dribbling the ball or trying to locate their guy. So we're trying to have some of that information that they'll encounter during sport present during our sprinting activities or our just kind of our pure physical activities in, in that context. But then our weight room complements anything we do on the field. So our, again, I'm not trying to do, use the weight room as a neuromuscular or just to try to, to improve some of these physical qualities, it's going to be more along the lines of they kind of touch upon. Can we can we improve some of the tissue tissue quality to be more resilient and more robust under these circumstances that they're going to encounter during sport? So that's how I view the weight room. So a lot of temporals, a lot of holds, maybe some contextual type stuff to, to again to again maybe get that brain to give a different kind of feeling that we worked on the field. So we might do some positional isometrics or positional holds or just really uh, different eccentrics. For me, it's going to be more of a tissue building and robustness, uh, resiliency of the tissues, and then some contextual strength and contextual feeling for the athletes um, that complements what we did on the field. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think that, and this is this is why track and field, I think, can be an easier solution in many regards, because it's i think it's it's a lot easier like the world championships are going on right now in doha it's very easy to say okay well this is what you ran here's your progression here's your year to year progression um i think quantifying quantifying agility and the results of what you do is probably a little bit more difficult um jay i know you were talking about doing uh like you had recorded like blow bys in the guard like the guards or something with how often like an athlete got blown by um do you guys use any metrics or any or is there any um, like real applied KPIs that you guys are or ways to statisize the effectiveness? And because I think that's why that's a very confounding factor with uh, all of this. And so, is how do you guys see the quantification of the results of the system? Well, that's the only numbers that I actually have, and it's actually what I'm trying to find right now in my Dropbox. Um, is, is that presentation that I gave for art at the last BSMPG is that, you know, we had those 10% improvements over two years when it came to keeping people in front of us and driving by people. Um, you know, I, I do understand that there, and I think though, Joel, like what you're getting at it is right. And I think that we, we look at positions and we like to talk about things as KPIs, but the real things, like the, if we're talking about it in a business sense, would be like, what things are we able to improve upon in gameplay? And I think that we demonstrated that pretty well, that we're able 
kind of like with the whole idea of training, right, is to take that smaller step back and build off these smaller, simpler, lower level things and provide an adequate stimulus on top of what sporting practice is while these people are executing these skills on the regular um, in order for them to then be more successful. Um, but yeah, that's the long-winded answer to other than those two seasons that I presented on at Arts, I don't have other data for that. Sure. Uh, I, I think one uh, area of all this, this is what I look at, is I feel, and this would be more along the lines of self-organization and skill development and all this. And I like something that Stephen Jones said in an article he wrote not too long ago, is the idea that perhaps we don't have as many natural talents as we used to in the sense of uh, everything is more coached now. Everything is more regimented. Um, athletes will specialize earlier. And to me, and I've heard Lee Taft say this, is the best movers and reactors that he sees tend to be those kids that just played all sorts of different ball sports and reaction sports from a young age. Mm -hmm. And it just got built in the system. And that the human body has, I, I mean, we all have to admit that athletes, regardless of, I think, where you stand on it all, that there are athletes who will be immensely, insanely good movers without ever getting a single lick of any sort of thing that resembles movement coaching. They just go and play and react and adapt, mm -hmm. and they're the best. And so, my thing is this is, okay, well, if there is, you know, the world of gray is, is I think that nothing says agility more than the world of gray on some level, but how do we say, okay, maybe you seem to move pretty well uh, if we are talking like just basic, basic movement, basic change of direction, knowing what that, that is, um, saying, hey, you look like you look like you move pretty well. You look like you don't. You're missing something here. Or maybe like I said before with my tennis guys who one guy is the guy who's the best mover on the team exhibits particular characteristics like he can do a crossover his like switch in the air like a like a boom boom type drill um, and some guys who can't. And where did you leave off? Where did you not get this? Um, and is there something that's needed more so than um, like, cause I'd imagine Michael, the, like the perception reaction work and a lot of the different, uh, the different uh, scenarios that you set up are going to build in, um, the, the same things that maybe even, even if we're talking regimented agility, like a 505, like I'd imagine someone could go through your system and probably not do a lick of 505 and get quite a bit better at that just through exposure. And so, and, and I, I, correct me if I, you think I'm, I'm wrong on that, but so my question is, is if we, how do we tell who might, if there is, you know, with regimented work or any sort of K, KPIs or who needs this improvement, who needs this work, who's fine? <laughs> um, where do we start with that stuff? Well, I think going all the way back to what you're talking about with what Stefan was talking about, I think another thing that we need to remember when we're talking about multi-sport athletes is they've also been taught multiple skills. They've also had multiple things brought to their attention when it comes to different movement patterns and different, I mean, just if, you know, growing up in upstate New York, kids played either soccer or football, or they played basketball or hockey, and then they played lacrosse or baseball, right? So just using me as the example, because obviously I was the peak of the athletic gene pool, um, <laughs> you've got a soccer player going through and learning how to manipulate a ball at his feet. Then you've got a hockey player learning how to figure out how to move around on razor blades on an ice cube. 
and then you know a guy who dabbled a little bit in lacrosse. So basically, figuring out how to combine the two and work over his head, you know, and you're taking these skills that you were taught, whether it be a wall ball with lacrosse or doing, you know, your quarter moves in soccer to figure out how to handle the ball. Those things are going to transfer, right? And those things are going to develop athletes at a higher level, right? Because we know that, that you're going to cross and do all these different things. And that's what the whole argument against early specialization is, right? Now to, but to go back to what you were saying with that other sense, the answer is, and like Mike and Jeff both said, is it depends, but what depends is going to be different for different athletes, right? So if you take my little five foot nine point guard versus my six foot 11 center, how they are going to move period is going to be different. And even though like we used to run a matchup zone, so the big fellow would end out on the perimeter guarding somebody and we run a version of the Princeton offense. So he is out on the perimeter, dribbling, passing, shooting, cutting back door and all those things, just as much as the smaller guys. There are some particular things that they all need to be able to do well, but you still have to do what the game demands in a sense of what their specific needs is, is going to be different, right? Like if you rely on a kid who's six foot tall to lead you in rebounds, you're probably going to be in trouble. Right. If he's the guy that has to bang underneath and box out every day, we're probably going to be in trouble. But understanding that there's going to be particulars for each individual's role and then identifying that probably not on your own, but with a lot of their assistance is really where this is going to blossom and allow you to matriculate down the field, pun intended. Do you guys, uh, do you guys have some other thoughts on, uh, Jay, you mentioned with Blowbys, but Jeff and Michael in terms of, um, Cape, like Cape kind of basically assessing the fruits of your labor. I know it's a difficult measure, but even, even if it's just subjectively assessing film, um, anything like that, athlete feedback, uh, how do you guys go about that process? I know it's, it's, it's tough versus just the combine or track and field. I think it's a, it's a different animal. And that's why I think this is oftentimes, uh, there can be a lot of um, this can be a tough conversation in that sense. But you guys have any take on that? Well, I uh, um, yeah, a lot of it's qualitative. Um, you know, what I mean, how how did you feel? How did you look? What what's mom and dad say? What's the coach say? Um, are you getting to, like you you work with tennis? I work with a lot of tennis. You know, are any anyone dropping the ball on you? Ever hit it over your head? You get to every ball. Like how are you feeling out there? Uh, that's a conversation I have almost daily with athletes. Um, you know, and then I try to watch film as much as, as, as I can. So a lot of times kids will give me their huddle, you know, uh, username and passwords and I'll, I'll sneak on there and try to watch when I can. Um, you know, or, you know, this fall has been great. Uh, been a little slower. So I've been able to actually go sit and watch. Um, and, and, and then try to talk to, to people. A lot of it's, a lot of it for me is qualitative. Um, I don't have, I don't have, numbers like a five ten five or uh, an agility or anything like that 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 i use um I, mike will probably test there's there's plenty of studies out there showing that those don't matter they don't transfer very well um you know what i mean so i i don't use those anyways uh for me a lot of it's qualitative um you know i guess i guess the, i don't know maybe going off of the uh, off of something mike said i guess one of the questions i would pose to the group then is all right, if we both agree, both sides of the camp agree that there are KPIs, 
and we see a kid who is not meeting the KPIs, then what do we do? Right? Then what? Yeah. Do you do do we step back? Do we get them to think about it? Do we try to form the drill around those KPIs to get them to do that? Um, do we try to use language or a focus to get them to do it? Or, or you know, is that, uh, you know, for me, at least I'll, I'll go through my thought process. And I'd love to hear what Mike and Jay have to say. You know, is, is it a learned skill? Is it a perceptual error? You know, is it a learned error, a perceptual error, or is it a physical error? Those are the kind of three, three things I go through. And I try to try to answer that knowing the athletes and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've given this, the, the, the story of, of that tennis player I've worked with plenty of times, uh, working on his backhand and, you know, breaking down the biomechanics and KPIs and the specialized exercise, blah, blah, blah. But it was a perceptual issue. It was a perceptual issue that led to that. Um, you know, that was one of the things. But then I worked with a football player and Bill, I think, sent me the video. I, I, I put a, uh, try to put a progressive, um, presentation together uh, of this athlete this football player when first watching his game film i worked with him watching his game film i thought he saw too many steps he wasn't cutting very efficient he had a lot of lag blah 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 i I tried to show the progression which we went through with the cutting drills the specialized exercises the jumps and progressions and i tried to show game film from the next year and hopefully people were able to see differences between you know year one and year two um so I, i wanted to be able to show that i think um, again, to me, it's a lot of it's qualitative and a lot of it's you know, based on video, but you know, I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Yeah. Michael, what's your take on the, like quantifying the outcomes of the the program? Yeah. And that's what everyone wants, but unfortunately, you know, there's no way we can do a, a research on kind of actual agility because it is so contextual to each position, athlete, and sport, et cetera. But as all those guys mentioned, watch like, Watch film. Get your athletes' feedback. Just like watch them. I'll see kids that are, you know, in 20 minutes make incredible improvements. You can see the way they move, the way they perceive, the way they are picking up information and, and attuning themselves to that information and changing just how they behave in certain contexts. Like just use your eyes. And that's the biggest thing that I made this change like six years ago is because I would visually see these changes in 15 and 20 minutes. And then as both uh, Jay and Jeff said, like Jay's in the in the classroom with his team and at the practice and at the games, like you can watch the, that's one thing I have against a lot of strength coaches that are maybe um, disconnected from their sports, like know your sport more, like watch practices, get like uh, Jeff said, get huddling, look at your, t- your athletes practice, go to their games because that's the number one way I've seen it. It's just, you can see things in the game and you can see them as a coach using your coaching eye. And then you get feedback from your athletes and they'll tell you that I, I, I saw this differently. I perceived this differently and I'm in the right spot at the right time. I just don't know why, and you, that's how you know your things are working. Um, we all want numbers. We want to see this improvement, X amount of improvement, this percentage, but the reality is, is that that doesn't exist in actual agility and that you have to use uh, your coaching eye, film, feedback, et cetera, um, to, to, to be able to quantify or to, to see the improvements that you're having. Yeah. So then I'll jump on Jeff's really quick, Joel, because I think that he had some really, really good questions there. Um, to, to answer that, I think that that's where moving and progressing and teaching the movement on top of it helps in that situation. And I think, again, I, I'm, I'm the Neanderthal, the simpleton and the, you know, the, the slow moving old guy of the group. But I think that the teacher in me still back from the SUNY Cortland days 
looks at this and says that this curriculum, if we may, needs to be consistently moving forward. And that's why there are days where we won't move forward, right? Like if, if the three of you guys come into my gym tomorrow, right? And Joel is killing it and Mike is killing it and Jeff is just technically not there today. Whatever we're adding, Jeff's not going to do because he's not ready to do it yet. And while I do understand that like we can put them in situations for these things to happen when they're always practicing, if I'm continuing just to put them into situations where these other things are going to happen and we're not able to then look at the lower level aspects of it and then make a training decision based on that. So like, let's say if Jeff was having a hard time that day, and I'm sorry to pick on you, buddy, um, you know, maybe then this is a time too when we're starting to go through things, we just pull the workout out and we're like, listen, man, X, Y, or Z is happening. How can we make this better? What part in here do you think isn't helping? You know, because obviously, like, I think the four of us would all agree, like, we're not programming things for kids that we're just like, oh, won't that be fun? You know, like, we're sitting here and it's like, each one of these has a place and a purpose. But if Jeff thinks instead of doing X one way and doing it slightly different, it's going to be better, you know, then let's do that and let's see what that does. And then on top of it, after you've given them that decision, then the next step is, okay, the other thing I saw, Jeff, was like your heel was dropping a bit more than normal. Do we think we need to make a change to the calf raises? Or should we, instead of do the, doing those seated, do we now try those in the K-box? Or do we do something where now we need to think about elevating our heel when we're doing our single leg work to work on getting that foot and ankle stronger or something like that? So actually taking the parts and looking at what we're seeing and observing what fails and then trying to lack of a better term, correct that, right? Like That's kind of what, you know, as Darren Roberts likes to call us, we're adult PE teachers, right? So like we're, we need to sit there and break down what they're doing and try to improve it. Uh, but I do think that in sport, there are KPIs that we can look at. And, you know, I was really lucky to have Tommy here um, to do that and, and to run those numbers for me. Uh, I wish he would still work for us for free and be our video guy for free because not only did he do awesome with helping me out, but he was one of my biggest supporters and he was like the most fun dude to have on the road that we've ever had. Um, so, you know, like losing him for all three of those reasons stunk. Um, but he's also going to be one heck of a basketball coach because he sat there and goes, I want to look at what you're doing with this and I want to see if it's showing up like do you think it would show up in these parts so like having an assistant coach or at that point a volunteer video guy who was as intrigued as finding those answers as to whether I was really actually helping us when you say it like that it's kind of scary um, but he, he showed that those things well he showed that those numbers got better we did those exercises and then those other things got better. Is it if P then Q? Probably not complete. Um, I'm sure that opponents matter. I'm sure that the kids getting older and understanding the system a little better matter. I'm sure that there was a vast array of things that impacted it. But the constant was that we went through that curriculum. And I think, again, that the, the teacher in me looks at it 
and kind of takes kind of the point of view of what Jeff's question was and watches, tries to learn how to better cue the guys. And if the cues aren't working, take a step back and reevaluate what the other parts of the training are. Sure thing. I, I like um this this brings me back to a little bit of like what Michael said, even just with um just the way we talk about self organization and cues and things and uh, to me, I, I think a lot about, well, there's things that we present to our athletes as problems they get to solve. And you were talking about, Jay, like, and Jeff, too, like, your interventions, like, the, like, you guys are doing, and, and I think, too, uh, just for this conversation, maybe this would have been a, something to talk about just at the beginning, just to get some points clarified now the way in the sense of training means, but you're, you're talking about, and uh, you guys have mentioned you don't use the 505 research and we can all agree the research has shown limited transfer in those canned agility drills or, or none to uh, sport. But what it, you, you talked about like delay squat, banded lunges, a distance on those types of lunges, uh, part whole method. What were some like what were some of the absolute primary? I mean, just for like simplicity's sake and to help paint a picture um, for, for people listening. What were some of the, the primary uh, go-to special special exercises that were being used in that realm well i mean i guess uh, i guess simplistically so if we're going to go through that spectrum of bonder chuck um special preparatory special developmental competitive um general precedes all that um you know hip abduction is important right so i don't care if you're cutting off one leg two legs jump cut whatever the fuck it's there's hip abduction Right, so we do a crap ton of hip abduction, right? But you can't have hip abduct or uh, you can't have hip abduction without hip adduction. So those are two main staples of where we start with as far as just general exercises uh, for strength, as far as the physical qualities. And then as we progress, um, those will eventually kind of dovetail into the lunge series and the lunge lunges are supposed to uh, this the lateral lunge is supposed to resemble an aspect of of cutting uh that hip abduction that pushing off the ground and and cutting now uh due to our resistance and using active cords or like k pulley or uh you know versa pulley whatever the hell you use um it's usually just done in a in a linear fashion we're just pushing out laterally even though i know cuts can be in many different directions um i will use 45 degree cuts but um yeah, nonetheless, we're still working on hip abduction, but now with moving the pelvis, what Jay talked about as far as the KPI mechanics, as far as posture and upright positioning and, and the foot and this and that, um, you know, those will kind of be that general, uh, the special preparatory and then getting the special de- developmental will be an explosive version of that, uh, will be a, um, a version of a lateral, lateral jumps. We do all types of lateral jumping whether it's extensive or intensive um, version of lateral jumping. And then you can turn that explosive lunge with resistance. We can, we can monitor it. So one of the things uh, I use that I got from Matt Tomey, because um, I give credit where credit's due, um, is we have tape on the ground and we try to use it as kind of like a, a velocity-based training. You know, how far away from that tape are you getting in your explosive lunge, right? Um, you know, we want six inches to begin. So your resistance is going to be a little more by, by, spring i want maybe 12 inches and by by summer i want maybe 18 inches away as far as how far are you exploding away from that and again that's all coupled in with some of the jumps intensive or extensive intensive and then getting into the plyometrics we do the plyometrics have to resemble aspects 
of what you do in your sport. Um, and then there's different variants of the lunges that we can do. We can do an eccentric version. We can do a plyometric version. Um, there's different versions to get into that. That's where that manipulation of exercises that transfer that Bonder Chuck's talked about in all his books, right? You got to find the exercises that transfer the best, and then you got to learn to manipulate the shit out of it so you can use that for long-term gains. And that's what the specialized exercises, and in, in, in my opinion, Doc's genius really has done um, with that. So I hope that explains it in a nutshell. Am I right, Jay? Hundred percent, man. Like I, I don't think I would add anything else to that. I mean. <sighs> I think that the running exercises that Natalia talks about lead into all of that in the beginning. Um, but that would be a whole other talk for another day in the role of those you know, straight ahead and vertical components and how they play into it. You know, because the one thing that she would say that would be different from Doc is that all of that lateral stuff comes way later. Um, cause they look at building that, that general, with the straight ahead and up and down for a little bit longer. Um, but that's not a wine conversation. That's a, that's a good IPA conversation. So, <laughs> so you don't, you don't drink wine anyways. Um, and then it, it kind of tied into what Mike already alluded to. Oh man, you ain't culture enough. You're from Fairport. Um, <laughs> and, and what, uh, alluding to what Mike kind of said, that is in support of the movement stuff that we're doing as far as the, uh, you know, the perceptual stuff that Jay talked about as far as the, 90 degrees, 180, the 45s, and all the different cuts. So those exercises, even though, um, especially the, the lunges, the lunges with the resistance, the explosive lunges, blah, 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 are kind of more linear. They're still getting physical qualities as far as that hip abduction, which, again, I don't care how you cut um, two feet, one foot, whatever. There's a hip fucking abduction aspect of trying to get away from a player. That, that has to occur. Um, it might be a little more with an extension. It might not. Um, but those are things that uh, we're trying to work around as far as physical qualities that match the technical aspects of movement on the field. I hope that makes sense. Sure. I'll jump in here real quick uh, just because I, 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 part of the fun of this conversation, as, as always with talking with, I like talking with groups. It's good talking with groups too that don't that share a lot of the same information, but also differ in some things. And for me, I was trying to get the biggest picture I can. Uh, so this is, this is some things that I've gathered so far and thought about. And I think that we can all, we all agree, obviously, that, that reaction, reactive, um, reaction to stimuli is critically important. Jeff, I liked what you said about, and I don't know if I'll ask a question on this just yet, but like learned, the errors being either learned, physical or perceptual. And I remember that tennis, like you said, like the backhand and the vision, um, example. I've remembered you talking about that before. Um, and it's awesome stuff. I, I feel like, and I watch, um, you know, I have young kids right now and I watch my kids at the playground and I watch my kids aren't, well, my, my son loves like playing with throwing balls and stuff. My daughter, not so much. She likes dancing, but my daughter has a friend that's just like an insane athlete. And you just watch this kid on the playground. It's like everything he does is training. He's either doing like tiger bounds, like super fast or play, the way he jumps. I'm like, man, if this kid just probably plays sports, a lot of different sports, I could see him having all these qualities that we're trying to build like built in the system like the perfect in the perfect world this stuff is all built in and we don't necessarily need to do anything but how many of those athletes end up getting to that point on their own completely and so i think that's where it's like okay well then d does it hurt to at least hit the parts like you guys have been just been talking about the parts um building hip abduction um building 
all these baseline general you could call them general because it's just basic basic fundamental movement abilities that maybe they got missed along the way maybe they didn't get intensified as much as they could have um i think that so uh, my 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 questions i'm going to try to just keep the two is first i Michael, I, I'd like to ask you what you just think about like just the rudimentary movement abilities, like kind of what they were talking about, like, like ankle stiffness. I'm sure you you bring that into your equation. I'm just I'd like to hear how. And then um, then my second question is really that 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 real gray zone, like, and I think that real gray zone is maybe the um, like the like the 180 cuts. Jay, you were talking about the 90 degree cuts because I feel like that's a little more. That might be some stuff that. Um, like even in my mind, I'm not nearly as experienced as you, you three in this realm. I'm just a, I'm a little bit of a, a facilitator flying the wall. My, my gut instinct there goes a little bit more with, um, I guess that just pure perception reaction line. If the physical qualities are truly in place, but I also know it's a way to measure if what you're doing is working in, in an objective sense, but I don't want to get carried away. Um, uh, so, uh, Michael, I'll ask you, what do you think about those, just like those baseline raw physical, just like the pure motor qualities or the physical qualities that make up this agility equation and in, in, in context of what Jay and um, Jeff were talking about? Um, yeah, I, 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 for me, it'd be they're, they're supportive. And that's, that's how I put all kind of that, the general stuff is it all is in some manner supports kind of the, the, the on-field movement. And so... For me, it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's a smaller piece probably for me than some others. But I just, again, I use it and I see it as a supportive piece rather than the than main piece. Um, that's just how I guess I would view that that realm. Um, if I can go back just a little bit on, on Jeff's question about, hey, you see an athlete has a, a poor movement or lacks in the KPIs and how do you address that? That's a really good question. Um, and that's obviously, <laughs> for me, you, you, we tend to think that it's just purely a physical problem, that they're weak. Or they're slower, they're stiff, or they lack stability or mobility. But we have to understand that, like, like Jeff said, it could be a perceptual problem. It could be a tactical problem. I think what some people often don't think about is, do they actually know what the hell is going on in their sport? Do they know kind of the, the, the schematics or the actual X's and O's, ins and outs of their sport tactically that allows them to be comfortable in those situations? I have a lot of high school athletes that are not in that realm. I think you can see a lot of mistakes in sport are tactical mistakes. And remember... We're going against, you're going against another live human being. And their objective is to beat you, is to manipulate you, to get you out of position. I don't think we respect that enough that the, the, the main, the whole objective of sport is to get another person out of position. So guess what? We're going to find ourselves out of position at many times based on because we're going against a live human being whose objective is to do that. So we have to understand that it's not always just physical, but also perceptual, tactical, technical within that sport as well. So trying to figure out what under those four um, is driving maybe that that lack of KPI that that mis- that movement mistake you could I guess you could say is that peeling back those layers is where I'd start with that in terms of adjusting or trying to uh, change someone's movement behavior you have to start with uh, those things in my mind I love that yeah I think that's good I, I Jeff I just want to reiterate too and, and Michael that's such good stuff and I I I like what you're saying too about just asking the athlete like aspects of their game because I think as we talk, it is, it's, it's across the board. It's so hard to quantify. And I do believe the physical preparation field is very built on numbers that quantify what we're doing. Right. Um, but it's at the end of the day asking, maybe it's people, I think it's just really good just asking the athlete, how did you feel with this aspect of your game, this aspect of your game? And, 
and really using that information. It's so simple, but it's such a, it's just right there in front of you constantly. And, uh, just like everything you guys are saying, like getting into video and all that. And yes, I think we do have some small differences on different ends of things. And, and I'm sure we could get into the whole, like that, that gray zone of like the different cuts that are, that's somewhere in between the perceptive. And, but I don't know if that's something we necessarily need to get into on this show. I, I think we've covered a lot of good ground. Um, and is there any, uh, is there any closing statements on the way out that you guys might have or any last thoughts that we didn't cover? Yeah. Um, I think one of the beauties of being in the, maybe a high school or collegiate setting is kind of you talk about Joe is that ask the athletes and then ask your coaches. Like the few college teams that I have, like I just you interact with my the coaches, yeah. position coaches on a day on a weekly basis, and I ask for them feedback. Are you seeing differences in how our athletes uh, our athletes are moving within practice or their other games? From your perspective as a sport coach who's tactically more tactically driven rather than for me more of a perceptual driven. So. At, yeah. If you're in a setting that has coaches that you're working with, please ask them on a daily, weekly basis. So asking your athletes is obviously wonderful. Uh, but as we know, some athletes have very skewed perceptions of themselves. But ask the actual sport coaches of what they view of uh, the changes and influence that you're having, your your movement practices having on them, their skill set within that in that game. And I guess the last thing I would like to say, just um, to clarify, like, and we talk about reacting to a stimuli, and that's kind of what agility is kind of perceived as. But what I want to make clear is that I think what we're trying to do, as me as a coach, is I'm trying to get my athletes to be more comfortable and attuned to the information within the environment. So I actually don't want my athletes necessarily reacting, because as we all know, if an athlete is reacting in the game, they're going to get beat. Like, they're a step behind. Rather, we want our athletes to be more uh, tuned and calibrated to the information, so they they're more comfortable... Um, interacting with that information um, rather than reacting because that's a that's kind of a secondary task we want them to become attuned to information not react to information because if you react you're a step behind you're going to get beat we want them uh, more attuned and calibrated to that information to be able to interact with it more immediately rather than in a reactive sense so it may be it might be semantics some people might think but i you know it's not reacting to a stimulus it's attuning to information that's good stuff. I like what you said about the coaches too, Michael. That's definitely my go-to, by the way, is uh, talking to my coaches. But um, I, you know, I, it's all good information. No, I love it. Um, I love Mike's uh, Mike's thoughts on uh, the tactics. Athletes going into it tactically wrong. Uh, I, I find that a lot with a lot of the girls' soccer uh, players that I I play with. Just talking with them, watching how they move in their practice and stuff like that. Uh, tactically, they're not going into it they're wrong. So I, I, I 100% uh, agree with that. Um, try to keep things simple and, and, and talk to them about that. You know, the unfortunate thing, maybe Mike's seen this being in the private side, uh, as opposed to maybe Jay and, and what Jay's allotted to being what tenured at, uh, at Richmond is, um, you know, I had, for instance, a girl soccer player came to me, uh, her parents said, you know, she's, she's not very fast on the field. Got to get faster. Okay, well, let's set our KPIs, 10-yard, 30-yard. Let's do some perceptual things, you know. Okay, if that's that's what we're saying is being wrong, we got her one of the fastest girls in the gym, but yet the complaint was, oh, she's still not fast out there. Okay, well, let's kind of peel back what you mean by that. Okay, well, fast meaning she's not able to repeat that. Oh, so you mean it's a repeatability thing. So, okay, now let's look at diet, nutrition, fitness, you want to call that soccer, conditioning, whatever, 
vernacular. Um, we got that better and still not. And it was a perceptual thing, which kind of knew. Uh, and we work on it, man. I, I work on perceptual, try to do drills, get them attuned to a lot of things. But sometimes, man, at least in the private sector, what I have found, again, I'd be curious to hear what Mike says. Um, that's that conversation I got to have with the coach, man, because I don't know if the coach understands this and understands this problem with this athlete and knows how to fucking do add do these drills get this person involved get these questions asked to this player to get them to whatever and i think that was a large part of why um you know even though we kept hitting these supposed kpis it wasn't necessarily transferring um you know i kept peeling back the layers trying to find out more kind of find out more and i really think it was just the implementation of which she was having with her team in her team setting and the inability of the sport coach and uh um yeah, that I don't know. That that was one of the things I had, but uh, again, being in the private sector, um, that's yeah, that's just what I fall into. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Bro. Okay. Uh, Fergus Connolly sent a best at the summer's edition of the seminar, and that is that he used to ask. I don't remember the whole story, but the the question was simply this: Does the player play fast? Right, and. We can talk about all these other things at the end of the day. It's just that whether or not they play fast. And we can talk about all of these grand, luminous things. But at the end of the day, it's still things that we need to be able to identify where these things show up. And if it is a technical correction, that we need to have technical evaluations where we're able to put them in low-lying situations and identify where we need to impact upon the athlete. Now, when you talk about practice and coaches needing to be this, that, and third, um, there's nobody at more practices than me. So um, I see it every day. I know how they move every day. I know how they feel every day. Um, I talk to the coaches every day. Um the problem with seeing them and being there every day is that every day starts to look the same and you have to remember that. So there has to be ways for you to break down pieces of the puzzle to be able to put it back together when you are in that situation. Um, now, when we're talking about talking with coaches and how they do things, I'm, I'm lucky to have a staff that I think does a really, really good job of that for me. Um, when it comes to teaching the tactics of what we want to do from everything from terminology to small sided situations to how we'll implement it dummy versus a, a live group. Um, so they do tick a lot of those boxes for me in that situation. Um, and again, I'm really lucky to have, as Jeff alluded to have this, this pretty, pretty cool tenure here. Um, but taking a step back and, and looking and being able to be with these young men probably a hundred percent more than they would ever want me to be with them um, has allowed us to, to build this and to be able to look at again, the part and the whole, right? Because if you can't do something slow, you're probably not going to be able to do it very well fast. And, if you can't do something fast, it's not going to be able to show up well in a game. And if you can't do it 
against your buddies, you're not going to be able to do it in front of 15,000 people when they're screaming at you, telling you how bad you are. So we kind of do have our levels to check and it's, uh, it's a fun process. And, uh, Joel, I'm, I'm really happy to have been able to be part of this conversation. All right. Yeah. Thank you all you guys, or thank you all sorry, uh, for being part of this today. It was really, really a pleasure and an honor to have, uh, three coaches of your caliber on the show to talk on a pretty complex topic, but, um, that's, uh, that's our time today. So, Hey, I really appreciate it guys. All right, that does it for another show. Thanks for being with us today. I'm signing off. And man, that was just a really cool talk with three really brilliant minds in the field and talking or digging into a area that can be really complex. I'm sure you got a lot out of that show. I sure did. If you enjoy what we're doing on the podcast, uh, you can support us by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. Would really appreciate that. Be sure to support our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end trading technology, great technology, online store, and blog. So again, they've been a longtime supporter of our show. Support them in what they're doing. We will see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.